everybody and welcome to No Good Thing Apart. My name is Sarah and I am your host and today I will be sharing the gospel with you. So I um, am going to be using a template that my pastor provides to the congregation. It's called the Eight Simple Drawings of Good News and um, he is very creative in how he um, like he creates a lot of really good tools and this is just one of them. And so I will be posting a picture of the all because there's like pictures that go along with it. And I'll be posting those on the Instagram, the No Good Thing Apart Instagram. No um, spaces or anything, just No Good Thing Apart. And you can see the visuals for that there. Um, so for the first little picture that is there, it says we were created by and for God. So this is good news because the knowledge that we are not just the products of chance makes it possible for us to live life with a sense of meaning and destiny. So we weren't just some random um, experiment that just got put together and thrown together. We were divinely created by the Father himself. Um, and when we are awed at creation, whether the very big or the very small or the beautiful, we are living out the truth that God's eternal power and divine nature are revealed in his creation. It is great news that what brings all our gratitude into our lives is not just by chance or a figment of our imaginations. So if you see a really beautiful sunset or if you're in the woods and it's just a beautiful environment, like we are in awe of God's creation, how he created that. Um, and it's good news that God created human beings in his likeness. And because of that, it means that we are all special and valuable. All of creation is worth caring for, but especially humans. On those days when we feel like nobodies and that our lives are worthless, what encouragement it is to remember that we are created for more. And we were created not just by God, but for him. We have purpose, namely to bring him glory. We can fulfill that purpose when we live under God's leadership. The little figure um, we use to represent humanity is clean inside. This reminds us that God created us good and holy, but that's not the way it remained. So the little figure is talking about in the picture, um, there is a little human being on there and it just makes a lot of sense if you follow along with the pictures because it'll be referring to that a lot so the next little picture shows how we sin and rebelled and this is good news because this means that we are all in the same trouble together there may be some people who appear worse than others but in the eyes of the holy god we are all sinners who have chosen to put ourselves before him we are rebels so there's so many things that we just do in our human nature, that we're sinful people. And we, like, it's just our human nature from the beginning of time. And it's very prideful to think that we are, like, doing good. Like, we're just, we're good with God, but we don't have Jesus. Like, that's just so arrogant, you know. And I was in that boat, too, for the longest time until I was, like, 16 or 17. I'm just thinking, like, you know what? my depression and anxiety, there's a reason, like there's an explanation for all, everything and it doesn't have anything to do with God at all. It's like, okay, like, are you, are you really, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Like, um, there, it'd be worth looking into, you know? And obviously if you're here listening to this podcast, you are either a believer or you are interested in what I have to say about Christianity and, so, yeah, if you are a believer, you know that you're sinful. If you're not a believer, you should know that you are sinful. And it's not like you're different than anyone else in that way. Like, everybody is. Even the nicest lady down the street, the nice old lady who gives you cookies, like, she has sinned multiple times in her life, I can guarantee you. 
And we don't like to think that because we, we like to think that we're all good. We like to think that we can do this on our own, especially living in America, just the independent culture that we have. We don't want to rely on anybody else but ourselves. And I think I want to talk about the fall a little bit here. So in verse three is the fall and it starts with, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Still true that the serpent represents the devil and the devil is the father of all lies. So he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any true in the garden, tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the true of the, oh my goodness, I cannot say fruit, <laughs> the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So this is really interesting that she said, she added that little part, neither shall you touch it lest you die, because God did not say that. In Genesis 2, um, 17, it's, actually, we'll start at 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God did not say once that you shouldn't touch it. Of course, like, you probably shouldn't touch it if you're not supposed to eat it. But touching it itself wasn't the sin. And so once Satan convinced her to touch it, and she was like, oh, like nothing happened. Like, I'm good. Then she ate it. And then obviously she sinned then. And that's when the consequences came. So moving on to verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So there's the lie, you know. And for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delightful to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And I think that when I first became a believer, I was like, how could you be so stupid to like believe that? But if you put yourself in her shoes, like, would you have, you probably would have done the same thing. Because it's easy to look back in hindsight and be like, oh my goodness, Eve, it's all because of you. But if Sarah was in the garden, I, I can almost guarantee you the same thing would happen because we are all human. If you were in the garden, I can guarantee you the same thing would happen because we are all human. And Satan is crafty. He is so crafty. And we need to be aware of how crafty he is because if we're not, then we just live our lives being like, oh, la-di-da, life is great. Nothing can harm me ever, ever, ever. And that's what Satan wants you to believe. Satan wants you to believe that you are good just being comfortable, sitting on your couch, watching your favorite TV show, which there's nothing wrong with watching TV from time to time, but just not doing anything with your life. And like also a lie that you are of no more value than that cow sitting over on this, that farm. You know, like we're all equal in our rights, human rights, animal rights, same thing, which I know that's not everybody believes that, but there are some who believe that who are all just mammals just vibing and that's just not true that's a straight up lie from the enemy and um he what he said was like a half truth so when he said to her um that sorry <laughs> for god knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like god knowing good and evil so that is true but because she isn't god because adam and eve aren't god it brought destruction upon them you know they can't we can't handle the full knowledge of good and evil. And God knew that. And God was trying to protect us from that. 
but he still gave us a choice in the garden. And um, that's, that's a lot of, that's a big thing. That's really hard to understand. Like, why would God give us the choice to sin if he knew that we would? It's like, well, he could have created more beings that are like angels. Um, but the thing with angels, kind of going down a rabbit hole here, angels are different from humans. And when you die, you don't become an angel. You are still a human. Your soul is human. But angels, if they rebel, they're, they're gone. They are sent to hell. They are a demon. They have no, there's no grace for angels. But us as humans, if we rebel because God loves us so much, if we put our trust in Jesus, he saves us. And at the, oh, I'm getting worked up here. This is crazy. Um, sorry. <laughs> because God is also a just God and God is a loving and just God. And it's hard to understand why somebody would, I've heard a big argument about like, well, if God was good, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. And it's like, well, actually God has given everybody a chance to not be in hell. Like he doesn't send anybody to hell. We are on our way to hell. Like the first time that we sin, he graciously gave us this opportunity to choose Jesus instead of hell. But we just don't want to do that because it's hard to deny yourself. It's hard to tell yourself, no, I won't do this. I will put my, I will put my trust in God instead of my own understanding in this moment, in every moment. It's so hard to do that. And even after you become a believer, you're not sinless, you know, like we won't be sinless until we are with Jesus in heaven. Of course, we have more discernment. And as we grow in our walk with God, we grow in our sanctification. But going back to the fall, um, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they realized that they were naked. And so they put together, they sewed the, themselves uh, loincloths to cover their nakedness. And then it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then God was the one who reached out to them. He was like, where are you? And he knew where they were. He knew what had happened, but he wanted them to come to him. And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And this is human nature yet again. How many times do we sin and we're like, I'm so ashamed. I am just, I, I don't want to come to God because it's embarrassing. And God, instead of condemning him right there, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, he knew exactly what happened, but he wanted the man to confess to him. And so then Adam blames Eve and then Eve blames the serpent. And then God curses the serpent, curses the woman, curses Adam, um, or curses the ground because of Adam. And then, and then he sewed them together, um, garments of skins from an animal that he killed. So that, that is also a prophecy of the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus will once be to cover our unrighteousness. So he had to sacrifice an animal. That was the first sacrifice that had happened and God himself did it. And then he drove out the man in the east of the 
garden of Eden, and he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So because humans now have the knowledge of good and evil, God guarded the tree of life. Okay. And Jesus is the way back to life. So this is getting into how God judged us and death entered the world. So even though it's hard to see, this is good news because we are reminded that God is just. Since we are created in his image, we yearn for there to be justice in our world. So it's good to know God is just and not merely an all-powerful but arbitrary dictator. See, he's not hes not a dictator. He is all-powerful, but he is just and he wants justice. Um, the harsh news of spiritual death and ultimate physical death helps to explain what we see in our world. Suddenly, the evil we see and experience, as well as the sickness and death, makes sense. It is still bad, but we know that's not how it is supposed to be. It's a result of humanity's sin and rebellion against God. So, every disease ever that ever existed, it is a direct result of sin. Not necessarily sin in someone's life, but sin in the world. I know that's a common misconception in some churches. They believe that if your child has cancer or if you are suffering um, from cancer or not even cancer, like some sort of illness, they're like, oh, like what did you do to sin? Like, what sin did you do? You need to make sure that you're right with God. And like, that's obviously I, that could happen, but also that's not always the case. And that's very rude and unloving to just assume that on somebody. Um, and it reminds me of, I forget what verse it is, but when Jesus and his disciples were walking by a, I think he was blind or he had some sort of disability and the disciples were like Jesus who sinned this man or his parents and Jesus said well that's not why he's suffering from this it's so that God may be glorified and I was like oh man you know um so going on to the good news because of this that God judged us and death entered the world this truth also is good because it motivates people to be willing to look for a solution Though some despair of through no, though some despair of life, most of us want to live. We want to live free of pain and suffering. How can we really live now? How can we have hope for eternal life? How can we live in this world free while being under the judgment of God? God would be just to send us all to an eternity in hell right now. It would be just because we have sinned against Him, and any sin, you know, gossip, um, sexual immorality. And pride, coveting, any of that. That is enough. One sin is enough to send you to hell. And that is because God is perfect. And so any sin is just a huge blemish on against him. You know what I mean? Um, God would be just to send us all there to hell. But the Bible teaches that God is not only just, he is also loving and merciful. His judgment upon our sin is not the final word. And this is the greatest news ever. I just got done reading Gentle and Lowly by, I think, David Artland or something like that. But basically, it talks about Jesus' heart and how when he describes himself, he says, like, I am gentle and lowly in spirit. And it's all it's also a common misconception that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are different gods, but they are the same God. But the Old Testament is under a different covenant than the New Testament is. So... Going to the next picture of good news, 
God gave us his law telling us how to live. So when he gave us his law, he told us how we can live to draw closer to him, to honor him in our lives. So this is good news because when God sent the law, he clearly showed that he had not just given up on humanity and there was hope. Unfortunately, humankind twisted the law into religion and rules because we did not understand how bad the bad news was. We underestimated how powerful the solution needed to be. It was not enough for God to tell us what to do and what not to do. So the law was never a means of salvation. It was never a way for us to get to God. Um, and I think that's a common misconception in a lot of churches as well. You know, God, it's, our sin is so bad. We literally cannot do it by ourselves. We cannot get to heaven by ourselves. And that's why we are, should not be focused on our works. We should be focused on our faith in God. And then the fruit of our faith in God will follow. It just, it just will, you know? Uh, so Every major religion other than Christianity is really some variety of works religion. If we keep the rules, then there is some hope of a meaningful life, now internal life then. As our scripture text from Galatians 3 tells us, this only is possible if we keep all things in the law. No mere human has ever done that. The only human that has ever done that was Jesus. By giving us the law and the rest of the Old Testament, we see God revealing himself in history that is verifiable. So we are able to trust God as the source of truth because he has shown himself and his will over time. God also set the stage for his own coming into history, making it clear through centuries-old prophecies that his plan was always to send a savior. There's so much, even in Genesis, um, going back to Genesis 3, at 3.15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is a direct prophecy to Jesus because he was talking to the serpent and saying um, that the woman's offspring will bruise his head and Satan will bruise his heel. So when Jesus was crucified and w died, that was Satan bruising his heel. But then when he resurrected, that was Jesus bruising, his head, bruising Satan's head. Um, and then the next picture, the best news ever. God sent his only son to become truly human, Jesus. And this is good news because God did not just reveal himself through prophets and other messengers. He knew that the gap between himself and people was too great to be crossed by mere information transfer. So although he did send um, prophets and messengers, he knew that that wasn't enough. You know, there, that just wasn't enough. There needed to be a, an ultimate sacrifice. And so that's when Jesus came along. This is also good news because he sent, so he sent God the Son to become truly human and be born here on earth. As true God, Jesus has the power to provide the solution for all of humankind. And as true man, he is able to understand us and be our mediator, which is so beautiful. And how we, we do not serve this God who we have to be afraid of. We don't have, we don't have to cower at the thought of him. If you're not a believer, I probably, you know, like it, it's just the truth. And nowadays truth is so, people think truth is subjective, subjective, not subjective. Just like that. Truth is not subjective. That's how you pronounce it. It's, it's not subjective. It's truth, you know, and it's not your truth and my truth. This is the truth. And that's just how it is. I'm 
if, if you don't want to believe me now, you will believe me on the final day when you do meet Jesus. And by then it'll be too late. And if you are sitting here thinking like, this is a bunch of hogwash, like, why am I even still here listening? I'm glad you're still listening because that means that you are interested in what I'm saying. And maybe this is God trying to break to your heart and to say, hey, wake up. I am here. I have been here all along. I have been pursuing you all along. God is not far away like we want to believe. We tend to either minimize our sin and think that we can do it all by ourselves, or make it seem like God is not more powerful than our sin. The enemy just wants to lie to us in any possible way he can. If he is keeping you from God, he is doing his job. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't care how he does it. He just wants you apart from God. And that's the truth. So um, going back to the good news pamphlet, or not pamphlet, the, what's it called? Template, good news template. The Christmas account is such good news that we still celebrate it with gifts and feasting. That God would take the initiative and come for us is truly the most marvelous expression of grace. The good news is not just that Jesus gave us an example to live by or that he most perfectly revealed God to us. Jesus made clear that he came to do much more than be a good teacher or moral example. I don't know if any of you have read the book More Than a Carpenter, but it basically talks about how Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, because he claimed all of these things. He claimed to be God, so he was either lying, he was either crazy, or he was who he said he was. And if you look at all of the things that he did, all of the healings that he did, it just makes the most logical sense that he was Lord, that he is Lord. So the next section in the template is Jesus died on the cross for us. And this is good news because there is a solution to our sin problem. That problem that infects our whole being and cannot be fixed by rules and religion now has a cure. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice animals and um, God didn't delight in animals as much as he did just obeying his law. And But now that Jesus has been the ultimate sacrifice, he is the ultimate lamb. Now, we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. We don't have to keep a set of rules and laws. We still have to repent for our sins and ask God for forgiveness. And repentance is different than asking God for forgiveness. Repentance is asking for forgiveness and changing or desiring change, making the efforts to change. Asking for forgiveness is just saying, I'm sorry, can you please forgive me? And God wants a heart change because if you just say, I'm sorry, but you have no intentions of changing, are you really sorry? Like, and if you are really sorry, do you really understand the weight of what you're doing? Because if you're really sorry and you truly understand the weight of what you're doing, you will change. And even if it's hard, it might be the hardest thing that you've ever done, but you will do it. Um... So, yeah, going back to the template, um, God's perfect son who became true man has offered himself as a substitute for all of humanity. Like I said earlier, the ultimate sacrifice. Only true man could be our rightful mediator and only true God could bear the sins of the world. Jesus, who has always been perfectly righteous, suffered the holy wrath of God on the cross. He did this so that he might bring us to God. In a sense, his death provides a bridge between holy God and sinful humanity. Humanity. 
That's why the cross is placed between the circle, representing the world, and the crown, representing God. So this is referring to the picture in the template. So like I said, follow along with the pictures. It'll just make a lot more sense. All this good news would be only hopeful thinking, would only be hopeful thinking if Jesus had remained dead. He had promised he would rise again. His resurrection would declare that his work on our behalf indeed worked. That's why Christians rejoice on Easter. So yeah, if Jesus died and just stayed dead, I, I give up right now. Like I will renounce my faith right now if the resurrection did not actually happen. But I am so confident that it did because there's so many like true accounts of it and people have tried to mispro- like prove the resurrection wrong. I think of Lee Strobel for um he wrote The Case for Christ. There's a movie on it. He tried to prove the resurrection wrong and he went about different ways of doing it and he was like, "Well, maybe Jesus wasn't really dead." And then he met with like actual medical examiners and they were like based on what it describes he experienced there's no way that he could have just like not died like he was on the cross and every time that he breathed he was like piercing his back with the splinters from the cross and so he didn't even probably want to breathe it was so such a gruesome death there's no way he could have survived that so then Lee Strobel goes on to be like okay well maybe everyone just hallucinated the resurrection so he met with psychologists and was like what about hallucinations like could this happen could a mass hallucination happen and the psychologist was like well no unless it was a miracle that that happened in of itself so that would be proving god in the first place but mass hallucinations genuine generally don't happen it just can't happen because hallucination is in your brain when your brain is misfiring and you can't be misfiring in like 17 brains at the exact same time in the exact same ways. So the hallucination theory out. And then finally he just was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm trying to fight God. I'm trying to run from God. And this resurrection, this is true. This did happen. And so, yeah. Um, so we look forward to Easter because Jesus did rise from the dead and is coming again. This is good news because we can have a living hope. Our hope is not in some dead religious leader who had some interesting ideas, nor in a prophet who talked well, but had no power over our final enemy, death itself. Rather, the great news is that Jesus rose from the dead, verifying all of his teachings and promises. He has given our hope a sure foundation. We now know that this world is not just doomed to decay and despair. The King of Kings will return and make things right at just the right time. If that were not good news enough, believers are also not left all alone in the meantime. The great news is not just that Jesus paid for our sins. It is not just that he is coming back to make the world what it was created to be. He also sent the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to come and live within each of his followers. Believers have been adopted into his family and can have the assurance of the Spirit's presence with them now and forever. That's God's work, but we must still make our choice. So when this is talking about the Holy Spirit, it's referring to when Jesus talked about the helper that was going to come. That is coming. That has come now. Um, Jesus 15, 26 through 27. But when the helper, not Jesus 15, (laughs) what did I just say? John 15, 26 through 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. 
So Jesus, when he resurrected, when he went up into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit indwells in us because in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, it says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So because of the Holy Spirit, God has made us holy. We are righteous before him because of Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. So all of this is amazing news. You know, we are now free from condemnation forever. But we must choose to turn and trust. And that's the next little section in this pamphlet. We must choose to turn and trust. So this is good news because we have a choice. We can continue to live with our little crowns on our own heads, which is referring to the picture in there. We can try to, trying to be the ruler of our own destinies. We can try to stay in charge of being good enough or religious enough to earn God's favor. Or we can believe in God's work through his son's life, death, burial, and resurrection. Believing is not just giving intellectual assent, but rather turning in full trust towards Christ. To do that, we must turn away from our sin and rebellion. This is repentance, like I was talking about earlier. This is not a matter of cleaning up our lives, but of agreeing with God about what's wrong with us and what, that we wholeheartedly turn away from it all. Then, we, with open hands, we have let go of our clinging grasp on sin. We embrace by faith the work of Jesus for us. We trust that his work provides the way for God's holy wrath to be turned away so that we can be adopted into God's family. God gives us our lifetime to make this huge choice. After we die, it is too late to change our minds. The good news is now that you understand your choice, you can be forgiven. You can have eternal life. This is just the most important and most beautiful message that you will ever hear. Not, not my message, like the message of Jesus in the gospel. It's just such a beautiful love story, the ultimate love story. I also wanted to talk about when Jesus was here on earth, how the Pharisees viewed him. So the Pharisees, I think in general, everybody was expecting this super righteous ruler, this king that was going to come down and save everybody from everything, like all the worldly things. Like they imagined a literal king coming in and destroying like the Roman Empire. But that is not what God meant. God meant his kingdom. And Jesus is king. He's king of kings though. He's not some earthly king. He is the king of heaven. So in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, it reads, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. So because of this verse, and there's a few other verses that I was having a hard time finding, but I remember reading them in Isaiah about how there will be a king promise. And so this, this um, section here is talking about how this servant of God will bring forth justice. And so everyone had this great expectation of what that would look like. They didn't expect that it would be waiting and waiting and waiting like god jesus may have brought justice in some instances while he was on earth but this is referring to the ultimate justice being brought on the last day 
So in Matthew 12, 2 through 3, it says, But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? And then it goes on to like talk about more. And this is basically the Pharisees getting mad at Jesus because the disciples were hungry and they were plucking heads of grains to eat. And they were like, what do you mean you're, well, of course you're not Lord because you are doing this stuff on the Sabbath. And Jesus was like, you fool. Like, what are, have you not, have you not heard all this other stuff? And then in the next verse, it just progressively gets worse for how the Pharisees view Jesus. Um, how the Pharisees act. So in verse 9 through 14, it says, Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. synagogue. <laughs> and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored, healthy like the other. But get this. The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So even though Jesus like used this great parable, this analogy, the Pharisees were still just like, no, I'm not going to listen. How can we kill this man? But they didn't realize that he was Lord, is Lord. But this was also prophesied in Isaiah 9 through, ten, uh, not 9 through 10, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. It says, and he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of his, this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. So it was literally prophesied that the Pharisees would be acting like this, not even understanding what Jesus is saying, not caring what he's saying. They just, they just want him gone because they're not, he's not what they expected and he's not what they want because he's telling them, you guys are doing this all wrong. Like you have it wrong. I am God. And he's saying, like Jesus is saying this, he's like, you don't need to follow all of these rules to get go to heaven. All you need to do is have faith in me. And the Pharisees were like, no, that's absolutely not. Because they were so prideful. They, they didn't want to put their trust in God. They just wanted to keep on relying on their own efforts because they thought that that would be good enough. And we do that every single time that we sin, though. It's so easy for me to even like be like, oh my gosh, those Pharisees, they are so crazy. Like, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe that they didn't understand this. But it's like every time that I gossip, every time that I get jealous of somebody, I'm I'm thinking, I'm like, you know what? I deserve that. I deserve better than what God has given me. And that's just not the case. And so our sinful hearts can easily fall into this as well. And finally, the Pharisees decide to accuse Jesus of being satanic because Jesus casts a demon out. And the Pharisees saw it and heard of it. They said, it is only by Beelzebel, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And then they didn't even say it because they thought it. Because Jesus said, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. 
and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Belzebel, by whom do your sons cast them out? They, therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And it's like, boom, roasted. You just got served, Pharisees. That's, they didn't even say it. Jesus knew their thoughts because he is God. And they still just are blinded. And I guess that also goes to show that if somebody doesn't want to listen to what Jesus' truth is, what God's truth is, then that's not on us. We are called to preach the gospel, to preach the truth and to do so in love and to love others and then god will deal with the rest we don't need to hold on so tightly and get defensive and argue with people all the time because it's just not worth it you know they will if they don't want to listen that and they think it's unloving for you to tell them the truth okay that that's on them then you know it's yes we are called to share the gospel yes we are called to love others and if they don't want to listen, that's not on us. You know, it's like when Jesus says to us, I don't know if it's Jesus. I think it is Jesus who says it. Um, if a town rejects you, just shake the dust off and keep going. You know, just, we need to do that. We need to do that more often. I get really intimidated to share the gospel um, around town because I'm just like, oh, like, what are they going to think of me? What are, what if they like don't respond well? And what I just keep on telling myself is, It's not up to me. I'm not the determinant of their response. All I can do is share the truth in love and continue to refine how I do that, not by watering down the gospel, but by speaking it in a gentle tone and actually being a believer. Being a believer does not just mean saying all these things and then just sitting and watching by the sidelines. Being a believer means going to the poor, helping people, and just being the light that God has called you to be. So I wanted to share the Pharisees, um, like how they view Jesus and their expectations of Jesus. Uh, because I've, I've noticed just throughout scripture that people's expectations were so different than what the reality was. And I think that's even happening today in today's day and age. We, there's this big expectation that because God is love, he is what we think love is. But we don't define love. God defines love. And when we say, no, God, God isn't real because his love doesn't match my thinking of love. That is so prideful. We are not the final judge. We are not the determinants of what is God is. And if he says that he is love, he is love. If he says that his justice is just, his justice is just, his word is final And his word stands forever. And so I think we just need to relax and be a little more humble. We all do. I do. Everybody does. It's just really easy to fall into pride. Pride is the root of all sin. Because every sin begins with, this this will do me good. And I know better than God. Like, when I gossip with people, I don't like doing that. But in the moment, I'm like, oh, this will help me fit in. And I need to do this to fit in. But that is a lie. That's a lie from the enemy. You don't need to do anything to fit in. You need to do what God asks you to do. And that is fully trust in him. And you might be like, Sarah, you're sounding so contra- like contradicting. You're saying that we aren't saved by a set of rules, but yet you're saying we should obey God's rules. 
We aren't saved by those rules though. But to be closer to God, we are to follow his rules. His rules, it's not like a rule like I put this in place so that I can watch you suffer. Ha ha, boo you. No, it's God literally, like I was saying earlier, gave us the law that we would be closer to him. But it was never meant to save us, ever. Salvation is through Jesus. Sanctification is through his word. Sanctification is through the Holy Spirit. And we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And yeah, that is that is what we are created to do. We are created to love God and love people. Thank you so much for listening today. I really love sharing the gospel with you guys and talking a little bit about the Pharisees and how they view Jesus. And I'm really excited for the next podcast episode. I believe I'll be having my husband on here. We'll be talking about relationships, dating, marriage, singleness, all that stuff. And so, yeah, I am really excited for the next episode. But in the meantime, I hope that you will be abiding in the vine and I will see you in two weeks. Bye, guys.